Previously on See You in Another Life, brothers. Woo! Hey, bro, I'm uh, I'm back from the sweat lodge. Whoa, you were in there a long time. What happened? Well, you know I'm always going on and on about how I'm not sure if I'm a hunter or a farmer? Yeah, you won't shut up about it. Did you finally figure it out? No, but I did have this incredible encounter with Ian Summerhalder. Wait, the guy who played Boone on Lost? Yeah, he uh, he told me I have to watch further instructions to find the answers I'm seeking. Oh, cool. I love that episode. So, is that all he told you? Yeah, why? Well, I was just wondering why you're shirtless and covered in mud and holding that lighter and can of hairspray. Oh, that. You're also kind of bloody and you've got tufts of white hair all over you. I, I can explain. And... You sort of smell like weed. You're not doing drugs, are you, bro? No, 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 no. It's it's just that he also told me I had to kind of fight this bear to save a Nigerian priest. <sighs> Dude, that's such an obvious scam. Stop being so amenable for coercion. Welcome to See You in Another Life, Brothers, and hello. You know, usually I start with hello and welcome, but today I just went with welcome, and then I went to hello afterwards. Mm -hmm. Just keeping you on your toes out there if anyone's keeping score at home. That's, I'm off the rails in this episode already, so. Anyone, anyone listening to this episode while driving just veered off the road because (laughs) they had no idea what you were doing right there. They're like, wait, where's the hello? Where's the... What? Wait, we need to wait. into the welcome. Ten seconds back, ten seconds back. We, we missed the hello. I, I need my hello. Otherwise, we can't keep going with the, the episode. No, it's just welcome. It's just see you in another life, brothers. We're starting this episode. We're off and running already because, you know, this episode throws you right into it. It's further instructions. The hatch imploded. We're here. Crazy, right? It throws you right in uh, the same way uh, the pilot and so many other episodes do with just an eye opening and suddenly you're in, you're thrown into a situation, you know? And uh, I, I always like when Lost uses the classic eye opening for a character, you know, introducing the episode. It just feels like this is, this is what Lost is supposed to do, you know? You know, yeah, it, they do it quite a bit. I'd be interested to see how many times I actually did the eye opening. It seems like something I should know, but I mean, it <laughs> <laughs> seems like I would know that, but no, uh, yeah, they, they do it for quite a few different characters. I feel like almost mm-hmm. every character gets an eye opening and Locke mm-hmm. does too. So, uh, yeah, it's just classic. It's classic lost. Yep. I should also say that, you know, it did throw us right into the episode, but after like two full minutes of previously on lost. So, uh. Yes, <laughs> I was so surprised. They they were really like we're we're making sure you remember every detail about the arguments that Locke had with Desmond and yep. you know everyone else and yeah they, they didn't want us to forget any of that. Well, I mean it's been a whole you know whole summer and then two full episodes away from these people, so it's like they really felt like okay they've probably forgotten who everyone is. So we need to establish that John Locke loves the island. 
and that Desmond, you know, he uh, turned the key and that Echo is a priest. So we need to remind you who everyone is. Um, mm-hmm. So I appreciated that because I had forgotten. So it was it was important to to relearn these characters' names. Didn't really even remember who any of them were. So it was good to, you know, have that have that previously on there, you know? Yes. And so now further instructions, we finally get back to the, you know, what happens after the hatch. And I think before we go into this episode, I just, I have to say, as I was watching this one, you know, I always remember, you know, I remember further instructions fondly. I remember, you know, the flashbacks are interesting and, Oh, this is the one where we find out, Oh, Desmond knows the, can see the future, maybe? I don't know. Possibly, and things like that. I found myself a little bit frustrated with it mm. um, as I'm watching it. Uh, or a little bit, I don't know. I, I, I wasn't as engaged with this one as I was with other ones. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's just, the, and I think you were getting at it before we were, we were getting on here and to talk. Um, it does feel like we were just in a brave new world, you know, for the first two episodes where it's like, oh, we're dealing with the others now. We're on to bigger, better things. We're mm-hmm. doing all this stuff. And then, oh, we're, we're uh, Saeed and Jin and Sun are in danger on the with the boat and everything. And now, oh, Locke has to go fight a polar bear. <laughs> I don't know why. That just doesn't it, it feels like a little it's like, oh, those the stakes felt so high there. And then. Oh, he's going to the polar bear cave and he gets Echo out. Mm-hmm. Like within the episode, the stakes just, it's just not all that interesting. You're like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I do like what they do with Locke, but I'll just say this was not one of my, I wasn't caring about, about it as much. I don't know. It's interesting. It is interesting, especially because, you know, I mean, like I, anyone who has listened to us talk about <laughs> previous episodes probably knows, like, we really like Locke. We like long episodes, (laughs) you know, (laughs) like those, those have been some of my favorite ones to discuss. Um, And it is interesting to feel that way about an episode centered on Locke. I feel like as you were just talking, you know, I, as I was watching this episode, there was a lot about it. I didn't really remember. Mm -hmm. Um, And as I was watching, I was like, I like this episode a lot. There were parts about it that I felt like man it it does feel like the the writers are kind of at a place of like how do we keep how do we keep this show going you know like how do we it like it i remember damon lindelof saying like you know season three was the point where they were like please abc tell us when we can end this show so that we don't have to keep inventing new flashbacks and new all all of this stuff and i feel like if the episode had somehow like, I feel like the whole, like you were saying the polar bear Mm -hmm. storyline and saving echo, all of that, it just feels a little bit weird, like a little bit Mm -hmm. misplaced or something. But if Locke had had to go on some journey other than that, I feel like it might've been one of the all time great episodes because I love what, this episode is for Locke. Yeah. I really like it in that respect yes. because it feels like the eye opening moment at the beginning, you know, like literally his eye opening, he's awake on the Island again. 
it feels like a rebirth almost and Locke is almost starting over in this episode in some ways um and so I like that aspect but kind of the central storyline like his central mission just feels like kind of a weird a weird story so Mm -hmm. um it's it's really good and it's really weird at the same time I I feel like we're going to develop a a pattern here where you're going to be the hopeful one in this episode. (laughs) I'm going to be the downer because I feel like even that, and you can, you can interpret this episode in a way where it's like, it's really Locke seems like he's having a rebirth, but Mm -hmm. really it's just, he's stuck in the same old patterns. Um, So that is the tragedy of John. (laughs) So I want you to be the beacon of light. You'll be the good cop. I'll be the bad cop here uh, as we go through. Um, But I will say the, the, uh, the other thing I just have to get off my chest about this episode. The thing I think that bothers me the most and that ruins the episode most for me. And this is weird, but I don't know if you're going to feel the same way. Mm. Charlie's hair. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> we know each other too well. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's so, it's, it's so noticeable right away that obviously, you know, we had the summer off and now we're back filming again and Charlie was doing a different project and he has, and it's mullet-ish and it doesn't look good. And it's just, yeah. it just, it feels, it, for some reason, it makes that, that, it's that and then the, cgi polar bear that looks horrible um yeah that makes the show suddenly feel a little you you understand the budget's a little bit down like Mm -hmm. we've gone from season one where the budget was huge and they could do this whole plane crash thing and now we're working i feel like i don't know if that was the case but i feel like you know it's network television and the budget probably decreased a bit for the show so it could also be that this was you know, I mean, who knows? Like, maybe this episode was so much lower on the priority list of special effects because, like, the yeah. opening of season three, I mean, like, the, I mean, it was CGI, you know, and so, and you could see it, but I thought the plane splitting apart in the yeah. sky was pretty good um, yeah. for that top 2006 TV, you know. Um, but yeah, you could tell they're really trying to, like, <laughs> Uh, uh, not have very many direct uh, yeah. shots of a polar bear. <laughs> it's just hard to make that whole scene in the cave feel like there's any stakes at all. Um, I mean, honestly, there's a moment where he looks at, we're getting ahead of ourselves, where he looks at Charlie and smiles. And you're like, okay, this is there's some stakes here and you can tell Charlie's worried for him. But yeah, uh, you know, I, yeah, yeah. Anyway, I'll just, I don't like to talk bad about Lost here. That's one. Th- and Charlie's hair, could, could they at least have, you know, could he have tried to make it look a little similar to what he had in season two? And I like oh, to wow. imagine that maybe, you know, it's been like a day, you know, it's been, you know, Charlie says you, you've been missing for a day to lie. Yeah, you got stuff. a haircut. Yeah, I, I like to imagine that, uh, since now he's hanging out with Claire a bit more, he asked her to give him a haircut uh, like he did in a previous episode at some point. And for some reason he decided he wanted a bullet and yeah. we'll just go with that. You know, we'll go with that. Yeah. What happens after you've just been blown away by dynamite and a hatch detonate hatch imploded, you'll get a haircut. Mm-hmm. You Makes make a sense. poor decision while asking for a haircut, getting a bullet, you know, exactly. 
All right, that's that's enough of that. I just got to get that out of the way up top. You have to make my feelings know about this episode. But I want to talk about the best part of this episode, which is the flashbacks. These mm-hmm. things are great. This, this, I mean, it's an interesting period in Locke's life, clearly. Um, you, yeah. you kind of pinpoint it. It's sort of after, you know, obviously he, his father took his kidney. Um, but it's before certain events, clearly, where he, uh, we'll, we'll find out later how he, winds up in a wheelchair mm-hmm. so and after helen leaves him i believe as well this would be so this is kind of yeah I think kind of so. a yeah it's a lock that's completely lost the people he cared about most in his life and so now he's looking for a surrogate a surrogate family which is a mm-hmm. big that's the the theme of this episode family and you know putting even on the island bringing the family together mm-hmm. and so we kind of see what how Locke tries to find a family again. Yep. So we start this flashback with uh, Locke finding a surrogate nephew in Mr. Eddie. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I like that. The fact that, you know, he picks him up, then they, well, he picks him up. And so this Eddie character who, you know, I'll, point out the elephant in the room right now very much reminds me of Aaron Paul I was just watching Breaking Bad this guy oh yeah yeah I feel, totally. I, I always you know I'm watching that show and then I'm watching this and I'm thinking I was, was that Aaron Paul no it wasn't it's a very similar actor yeah um, but uh anyway so Locke picks him up and um Eddie wins Locke over I love you know the so we got Locke's family we find out later kind of manipulating him in a way and Mm -hmm. Eddie right here, who's manipulating him because he knows the psych profile. He knows who this guy is. He knows he's had bad experience with his father. So he says, mom's dead. Dad's a drunk. And immediately Mm -hmm. you can tell that, that that's what wins John over to like, Oh yeah, I like this guy. I need to take him under my wing basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I love how, I love watching this episode knowing the whole, knowing the ending because yeah, you pick up on things that he's trying to, you know, do throughout the episode to, to win lock over and kind of see, you know, uh, uh, play mind games with him to figure out what information he can get out of him, uh, but also earn his trust and stuff like that. Right. Like in this scene right away. Um, He makes himself sympathetic to Locke. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And then calling him his uncle when the cop pulls him over is sort of yeah. another subtle way of like, we're family. I'm in, I'm in your good graces now, right, uncle? Let's figure out, you know, what are these guns about? You know, maybe tell me about that. And eventually, you know, slowly easing his way in. Eddie, you sly dog. <laughs> so... Um, that moves us to the next flashback where they pull into the, the compound here. Well, I guess that's what you'd call it, um, where he gets to meet his family and everything. And we're introduced to this sweat lodge, which, you know, as we mm-hmm. find out later, Locke build, I've already find out in the episode that Locke builds himself a sweat lodge. So like here we find out what is the purpose of the sweat lodge. And Locke says, you're supposed to, figure out 
what to do with your life, you know, what direction to take. Go in there and figure out if you're a farmer or a hunter. And this is just par for the course with John Locke. You understand it. John Locke is always looking for guidance from the outside to try to figure mm-hmm. out who he is and what, you know, he, he's a man of faith. So he's always looking outside himself for the meaning of it all to find out who he is. And I like that, you know, he he's, he's saying you, you figure out if you're a farmer or a hunter. Um, and as that, that farmer or hunter question, well, we can get into it more as we go through the rest of the episode, but it's a question that you already know from the whole series Mm-hmm. what Locke wants the answer to be. Yeah. He's the hunter, right? Mm-hmm. And he wants that to be the answer, but he needs someone, he needs the divine whatever to tell him that he's a hunter. So mm-hmm. that might make him a little amenable for coercion. Yeah. It Well, it's interesting because that sums up Locke's character so well that he exactly what you said he needs someone else to say like you are meant to be a hunter you know like that is the meaning of your life uh and it's interesting also that Locke tends to see things in these binaries yes you know He, he is a hunter where others are farmers he is a man of faith where others are men of science you know yeah uh, and it's interesting that it it always also comes down to yeah that sort of affirmation of that uh, that calling for him from something mm-hmm. beyond himself. Um, yeah, it, and it's kind of cool because this feels not not like a origin of that, but kind of a a something along the way that like helped him. Uh, solidify that in his mind that like oh you you go and you meditate and you find out who you truly are and that's truth you know yeah um yeah well he you know he think he he needs it to be from on high but really what it is it is jan and mike as we meet Mm. them here in this next Mm -hmm. scene because i love the moment it's very subtle in there where when they come to the picnic table um, and he's introducing Eddie to him. Mike says, John's a very special guy. And, and you I see John, that. the look on Locke's face, like he needed a father to tell him that he's special because his father told him that he's just a, he's nothing basically. Yeah. So it's not, he, he wants to think that it's from, you know, it's very objective on high, higher power, but really he needs someone to tell him who he is who he wants to be basically he wants to be special so Mm -hmm. and mike and jan are just telling him what he wants to hear basically Mm -hmm. and then his prayer where he says thank you for helping me stop being so angry and for helping me to find a real family because they're a hell of a lot better than what i used to have is just such a it makes you so sympathetic for John Locke. You know, you understand. We all feel for John Locke, even if he can mm-hmm. make be make some boneheaded moves sometimes. Even <laughs> at, at the core, you know, he's just an angry. He was an angry man, and he needed someone 
So mm-hmm. you feel for him because he's looking for love in all the wrong places, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a really, I really like that moment when he when he's praying, and it's such a odd moment initially because you're like, oh, he. It's weird to see Locke praying, you yeah. know, and he, he he addresses, you know, like, Lord, thank you for this day, you know, like, the, thank you for all of this stuff, and um, it's just, it's, and that's representative of this whole flashback to me, the whole flashback uh, episode, because everything about it, you're like, oh, this feels like a whole part of Locke's life we never knew existed you know like everything feels out of context like even the location feels like this yeah. just beautiful place that we're like this doesn't look like something you would see in a lock flashback you know mm-hmm. and to see him standing there and praying and to hear the guy who you know we've seen in the flashbacks beating the roof of his car you know in out of anger because his you know father stole his kidney you know like all of that stuff just screaming in rage you know and such a great acting performance to see him here say you know like lord thank you for helping me not be so angry you know Mm -hmm. and so it's like yeah oh my gosh you you want this to be the happy ending for Locke, but you know it's not because he Mm -hmm. ends up on the island and he's still walking here, so we know this is before he's in a wheelchair. You know, like all of the, the other stuff that happens to him. So, yeah, um, it's this really, kind of like beautifully tragic moment where he he seems to be like, really at peace and good, and we know that, <laughs> something's not gonna, go right in this episode. Mm-hmm. Because there's guns in the back of that truck. Yeah. I mean, immediately. It, yeah. yeah. And that cop, you could tell by the way he was talking to Locke that he knows stuff's going on. Yeah. And it's just that the, you, you contrast that with this and it just makes you uneasy. It's very well done. Mm-hmm. You're like, all right. And the way that even I love the actors who play Mike and Jan, I think they do a fantastic job in this episode and the small part they have. But with the way they mm-hmm. interact with Eddie, when he sits down at the table and they're kind of like, Oh, great, great. You brought a friend, basically. And, you know, you, you feel that unease, sort of, even though they're they're smiling. You know, they're... Yep. You just kind of... You're like, something... Something's happening here, and it's not good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I love that... I, I almost forgot about the cop being it. Like, I don't think I ever really realized, like, oh, the cop is kind of out to get Locke here you know like or he he definitely knows Mm -hmm. there's something going on um it reminded me a little bit of the scene in get out when he gets pulled over and stuff and and it's clear that the cop is like like oh you know he's got a vendetta against him (laughs) i don't know if you remember that scene vaguely yeah yeah and it's just like like oh yeah he he didn't just randomly get pulled over and now we see that he has guns like the cop was like mm-hmm. i could still arrest you because you pulled up you picked up a hitchhiker you know he's yeah. looking for reasons that he could arrest him and yeah yeah tail light out yeah right right <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah so there's a lot of red flags here so that brings us to this next scene with uh when they're walking in the barn and uh, 
whatever, you know, the woman walks by, I forget what the name mm. was, but, uh, the, the line that Eddie uses when they're joking around, you know, what she really wants is a daddy, just like everyone else here. You should take it. You should take advantage of that is too on the nose, Eddie. You're, well, you're getting too close there, buddy. Cause he, I oh, love that. Yeah, he he uses so that as a joke. He knows. <laughs> He 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 know he has Locke's whole profile basically, so he understands yeah. that that. And I think it sort of speaks to um, the fact that you know Eddie's been there for six weeks and he's getting a little frustrated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, at the same time, he's like, just like everyone else, they all they want is a daddy. Everyone here wants a dad. He understands why they're all that's all these people are broken individuals who are have been coerced into this illegal drug smuggling thing Mm -hmm. and uh it's sad but uh and but locks line back to him that's not funny eddie is obviously you hit too close to home Mm -hmm. um i don't want to think about that (laughs) (laughs) yeah i feel like that's the line that most to me is like fun when you rewatch it because you realize like he's He's flat out saying, yeah, his pretty much his strategy for getting info from Locke is exploiting, you know, what he knows about him, that he has daddy issues, you know, like, like earning his trust by asking about things like that and also treating him like his father figure and and all of that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. How come you never talk about your dad, John? Mm -hmm. Like sort of he's trying to get to the emotional core of Locke. So maybe eventually Locke will just come clean and tell him everything i think it's the fact that eddie is just you know eddie's a he's a good guy he's a cop he's trying to get to the bottom of everything going on here but he is using manipulation and kind of taking advantage of an emotionally vulnerable lost man to do it which is so on either side here you got mike and jan who are not good and you got eddie who is just (laughs) trying to do a job basically and yeah. Locke is caught in the crossfire, um, like he is so often. Uh, so, yep. Ugh. But Eddie's right. Your family's got too many secrets. Is very true. Mm-hmm. Um, so that brings us to well, Eddie finally gets Locke to talk to Mike and Jan. The moment where Locke kind of laughs, sort of like, what, what are you trying to blow up? What do you make uh-huh. of that? Yeah, any thoughts on that moment? I've honestly always been a little bit confused about that moment because yeah. I've, I've always been confused about, like, okay, Eddie's an undercover cop trying to, you know, figure out or, like, gain evidence to prove that they're doing illegal stuff here does he not know that it involves drugs or does he because like his line like whatever you guys are trying to blow up has Mm -hmm. always just been a really weird (laughs) choice to me i don't know and maybe i'm just missing something but i've always thought that was a weird thing for him to say and then like is he trying to say something that he'll he'll be like, oh, this is so outrageous that maybe Locke will tell me that they're growing marijuana. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Well, is blow up slang for, like... Oh, you know, like uh, drug sell, activity? Yeah, yeah drug activity. I wonder if that... 
I don't oh, know that could be. Like, I don't know. Yeah, that uh, that is weird. I don't know too. So I'm kind of. I, I what I see that line is is basically him. You know, he's basically he's getting at the truth, and Locke is laughing because he he's just like, oh, you're mm. being ridiculous, and he, I think he's thinking to himself, I'll go talk to Mike and Jan. And they're gonna they're not gonna let him get any closer, so it's fine. So he'll never mm-hmm. find out that uh or I don't know, yeah. maybe maybe he's thinking, no, maybe he can be trusted at this point. I don't know. Mm-hmm. He but, it could be he's just gonna defer to whatever Mike and Jan say. I mean, you know, like that's kind of his thing, you know, like trusting them, but mm-hmm. um Yeah. Is that that's always just been a, a little bit of a weird moment to me and um no matter what i feel like Locke's um response of laughing and stuff is to me a way for him to just kind of like uh cover up and and be like oh eddie you don't know what you're talking about no matter what he's suggesting you know so that he can save face if he's not allowed to tell him anything (laughs) For sure. Yeah. And that brings us to the elephant in the room, sort of the unspoken truth of this, these flashbacks that Mike and Janet, we find out finally that they got marijuana in that greenhouse. And Mm -hmm. I I just, just to back up for a moment and, you know, like as Charlie points out on the Island, the zero tolerance policy you have, John, Mm -hmm. where we, you know, he's, he's very much adamant about Charlie getting clean um, and we find out here that at this point in Locke's life, I don't know if he had a, if that's why he's so mm-hmm. adamant about Charlie on the island, but here he's willing to turn a blind eye to all the drug stuff because that's how much he wants a family. Mm-hmm. I think that's really the, the, the point. It's like Locke is willing to overlook so many red flags, uh, so much questionable behavior in all this because he just wants yeah to belong to a family mm-hmm. um and a family that tells him he's a hunter i've always thought of this episode as kind of revealing that Locke has kind of a i don't know what it is like if it's just like kind of a libertarian like view of stuff where it's just like yeah. You know, everyone's free to do whatever, you know, like, wh- why is, why is weed illegal? You know, like that sort of thing, you know, mm-hmm. uh, either that or, um, you know, I mean, like, this is the most like straightforward, we straightforwardly like religious kind of, we see Locke being with that prayer yeah, and almost like, like it feels like he's part of a cult here yeah, where yeah, he's yeah. just getting into, you know, hey mike and jan say it's okay so it's okay you know like because they're the charismatic leaders who make him feel like he belongs so you know i i feel like it's an interesting this moment is just an interesting thing for analyzing who Locke is because he's at this point in his life he's okay with this sort of thing which is just something we wouldn't have necessarily pictured um until this episode you know like you would think like, oh, especially because of the zero tolerance policy on the island with Charlie and drugs and all that, that you would be like, oh, he would never be okay with this sort of thing. But yeah, yeah. Well, you bring up a really good point about them and praying there 
and then the mm-hmm. sweat lodge and Mike and Jan, and that this is pretty much a cult um, where Mike and Jan are in charge. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the point is that Locke is okay with the drugs because he feels like they serve a higher purpose. Mm-hmm. Like they take those, like when he goes into the sweat lodge on the island, he's taken drugs before that. It's they're taking, there's getting high man and going into that sweat lodge because mm-hmm. that's how they commune with whatever the higher power is. Right. So I think that's how Locke justifies it in his mind. It's like these drugs are how I figure out who I really am. Um, mm-hmm. When he sees Charlie doing it, Charlie's just doing it. Just he, he, he he's not doing it for any higher purpose. He can tell he's just doing it for a selfish reason. So that's mm-hmm. probably how he differentiates that yeah. in his mind. Um, which is, I, I think that's probably it. But um, mm-hmm. I like how the veneer of that in this scene is completely stripped away when he sees how yeah. Mike and Jan just completely turn into jerks at when it all comes crumbling down. Like mm-hmm. Jan, especially Pff, man, she is you <laughs> idiot. <bad. laughs> yeah. He was waiting for you. You, you idiot. He played you for a sucker. Now it's over. Like we're going to, we'll throw you to the curb as soon as we don't need you anymore. John basically is what Locke realizes right here. Yeah, man. Poor, poor Locke always ending up being part of a air quotes family that is just using him. (laughs) Yep. And I guess I should amend that, that he doesn't really realize it because he says, no, wait, no, wait, no, wait. I can fix this. It's not too late. I can fix this. Sounds like Dr. Jack here. Um, (laughs) But yeah, he, he still wants to fix it. Even after they have berated him over the head for his, that's how, how much he, they've brainwashed him basically as their cult leaders well mm-hmm. i mean Locke is easy he's very amenable for coercion it reminds me of it kind of reminds me of how i think of Locke at the end of season two when he smashes the computer uh-huh. where it's kind of like you know someone is saying you know all right it, the jig is up we've gone too far or something you know like we we need to turn around or whatever you know yeah and Locke says, basically, you know, the it's the fallacy of sunk costs. Like, we've come so far, I can't give it up now. You know, like, we, we, we've, I've done so much already, we can't give up on this thing, even though it's hopeless. You know, yeah. so he's going to continue. But Yep, he's, he's, he's too deep. He can't give up. He can't let go. So, I like when, yeah, when... Uh, Mike says, how are you going to do that, John? Sort of like, obviously he's not. And you can say in this, in this next scene, when he goes to hunting with Eddie, I have a feeling, you know, that Mike and Jan already left. That's kind of the sad unspoken part of this, that it's like, I'll go fix it. Oh yeah, yeah, you will. We're out of here. Um, Mm -hmm. So he's in this next scene, you could interpret it as he's trying to save a family that's already gone. Um. Yeah. Yeah. But this last scene with him and Eddie hunting out there, um, and when finally the jig is up for Eddie, 
and he drops the the line of the episode, which you know he says, "Yeah, they chose you, John, because you hadn't been there, you hadn't been here long, didn't have a criminal record, and the psych profile said you would be amenable for coercion," which is just such a. I when, I remember watching this this episode a while back and going, "Oh my gosh, they just summarized John's <laughs> that's yeah. that's John Locke. That's he's the ultimate." The, the easiest guy to manipulate in the world, basically, um, mm-hmm. because he is such a believer. He is such a, you know, he's, he believes in the good. Um, and he's so willing to trust people that it's to his utter detriment. Detriment. I don't remember. I think it's in community, the Dean, they call a level, yes. level, <laughs> like yeah, a level yeah, yeah. seven susceptible or whatever it is. <laughs> yep. 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 <laughs> That's Locke that is the dean. Yeah. <laughs> he would buy the uh, virtual reality. <laughs> yes. No one understood that reference unless you've seen. Well, maybe, maybe, I don't know. Yeah, Season six of Community. Know. Did you watch Yahoo Screen out there anywhere? Uh-huh. <laughs> We've already got such a niche audience. Yeah. So when Eddie, you know, after, after this, he says, mm-hmm. you're not going to shoot me, John. You're not a murderer. You're a good man. You're a farmer. What I find intriguing about that is, like you were saying before, John sees the world in such binaries that mm-hmm. it's like you're either a hunter or you're a farmer. Yeah. Um, and if you're not a hunter, then you just you're just you have to be a farmer. Mm-hmm. Um, what I like about that here is that Eddie, you know, he's he's trying to help him by saying you're a farmer. But really, he's just using that sort of as to to once again manipulate John, yeah. Basically, um, because I don't think John Locke is either a hunter or a farmer. I think he's something in between. But he needs someone to sort of tell him that, mm-hmm. tell to, to actually you know care for him enough to actually tell him who he really is. And he mm-hmm. doesn't have that here on either side, so he's sort of left in the cold again. Mm-hmm. And maybe part of maybe part of his issue all along is the need to be defined by anything, you yes. know, to be defined as a thing uh, between two options. Because I, the thing, one of the things that's so desperately sad about this final scene, I mean, there are, <laughs> there are multiple reasons, but it's so interesting to me that Locke, even here, like. It feels like his goal is not to solve the problem, to fix it all. No. But he wants to know, why me? Why did you, did you think there was a flaw True. in me? You know, and that's why you would be able to manipulate me. Um, And the guy tells him, basically sums up who John is, like you were saying. And then he tells him like, hey, John, you're not going to shoot me because you're a farmer. And he, mm-hmm. he like gives him the answer, uh, according to what he knows, and Locke just says, "No, I'm a hunter," and then he walks away. And there's there's no resolution. And part of me thinks that like this whole struggle, then what is so sad is that Locke is trying to define himself by a term, yeah, when because no one has ever just cared about. Lock for lock, 
mm-hmm. you know, aside from Helen. Um, yeah, Helen. Um, and when that, you know, tragically ends, you know, that relationship tragically ends as well. Like then that's, you know, what else is there than to just try and claim your identity in, in these ephemeral things, you know, these, these titles. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, which is just kind of an interesting, sad part of this chapter in Locke's life, especially, but a lot of Locke's life. So, Yeah, it brings a whole new level of tragedy to his catchphrase, don't tell me what I can't do. Yeah, that's true. Because it, yeah. it, it made me think about that as I was watching this episode. Like, don't tell me what I can't do. The reason mm-hmm. he doesn't want people to tell him what he can't do is that he wants people to tell him what he wants to hear basically mm, tell me yeah. what i can do which is tell me i'm a hunter tell me i'm a hunter tell me I'm, please tell me i'm a hunter please please <laughs> please and it's sad because it's it, it, you know there's you know you could say you can feel sorry for Locke, but at the same time there's it's kind of a deficiency in Locke where he mm-hmm. can't hear anything he doesn't want to hear and so that's why he never really can grow um and yeah. i think that's why I mean, as much as we love his character, that's his tragic his tragic flaw is that he never can escape yeah. that wanting to wanting to be told what he wants to hear. And so that's why he's so easy for Eddie, for Mike and Jan, for his father, for the monster to mm-hmm. manipulate. Um because he just doesn't want anyone to tell him what he can't do. He wants to be told what he can do and then just wants to be reinforced in that delusion. There are so many different, like I love Locke's character, uh, you know, almost, almost because of uh, like one, one of the reasons I love his character is because he is a tragic character um, that is so, interesting to examine like all the different ways that he yeah um like grows and changes over time but still ends up tragically falling into the same pits you know and mm-hmm. and i think that's a really interesting story that they weave throughout all of lost um the way he even as he changes over time he still ends up <laughs> in a lot of the same ruts. Uh, and I think that's that's an interesting thing to be able to do and make it compelling. So Yeah, I think they do manage that. Mm-hmm. They manage to keep him likable, even though he's frustrating. Yeah. Um, I think that's yeah, a yeah. great... I mean, Terry, <laughs> Terry O'Quinn is, deserves a lot of the credit for that because his performance oh, yeah. throughout this whole series is so... You feel for the guy... And you like him because he's, you know, he has great moments as well. But, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. What John Locke needs is Helen or a constant or something and never mm-hmm. quite gets it, unfortunately. Yep. But anyway, on that sour note, let's, um, why don't we take a quick break before we talk about more of this cheery episode? Um, so we will be right back with more See You in Another Life Brothers after this. Welcome back to See You in Another Life Brothers. Sometimes I like to savor the the name of our show, like Mm -hmm. See You in 
another life brothers kind of like i'm doing like a tonight on dateline or something you know mm-hmm. really mm-hmm. i feel it's it's very satisfying you should try it sometime hello and welcome back to see you in another life brothers it's fun good? it's a, it's fun because it's a long title you can kind of draw it out a little bit exactly it, you, you really get to like let, let those pauses like put the listener on the edge of their seat mm-hmm. it's great you can just mm-hmm. feel them like what's he gonna say next is he gonna say the rest of the name or something else <laughs> and usually it's the rest of the name but you know sometimes i could say see you today or something <laughs> someone just drove off the road again yeah sorry sorry about that that guy has had a rough trip yeah just just when he thinks he knows what he's listening to mm-hmm. speaking of a rough trip how about uh, these three guys who are in the hatch uh yeah that's pretty rough actually i mean okay hold on a second so you're telling me that this hatch imploded and it sent Echo into a polar bear cave. Locke just like right on the edge of it. He's fine. Mm-hmm. Echo goes into the polar bear cave and then it blows off Desmond's clothes. Ah, uh, interesting choices. I am 100% on board. I don't know why. I just <laughs> think it, you know, on this on this island... <laughs> totally fine. It checks out. <laughs> it checks out. Like they, the hatch implode. Shouldn't it crush them all? Like, nah. hundred oh, <laughs> percent. They should all be dead. They should all be so <laughs> dead. I mean that. I mean, look at that thing. It's just like everything got sucked into the middle of it. And... They should be dead beyond recovery. Yeah. But they are. They have a couple scratches, and they are fine. <laughs> I mean. Locke almost got killed by Echo's stick, but otherwise, you know. And uh, that was the most dangerous part for him, though. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, so we like you were mentioning at the beginning, it opens with Locke waking up in the jungle, classic Locke style. I mean, classic Lost style and Locke style. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then getting up, and the stick falling, of course, right on him, sort of like it's divinely. Like a subtle theme of like divine, like this is this is meant to be Locke. You need to go save Echo. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Locke looks at the stick, and of course, for a second, I'm like, I have to pause this and just look at this stick. Oh, yeah, did you? I didn't pause it, but I I remembered that there was a significance to the yeah the i saw the verse where it says like lift up your eyes and look north something like that Mm -hmm. you know and i i remembered that there was a significance for that later too um in an upcoming episode so it comes up in uh i believe enter well it's before enter seven seven it's at the yeah i think it's not in portland where we where they get the compass bearing from yeah that's right lift up your eyes and look north and right under it it's it's very weird. It's John. Lift up your eyes and look north, John. Oh yeah. And three colon three three colon oh zero five. Which who writes a Bible verse with a zero before the five? Which makes you think, okay, that's meant to be because that, that's why would you write it like that? That's that's a compass bearing. Yeah. So, <laughs> so that's on there. 
And I also noticed that they, you know, they, they obviously meant people to pause this and they were putting all sorts of fun little things in there. They put the numbers, he carved uh, them into the bottom, like right at the bottom where the, the thing is to hold the, the stick. It's like four, cool. eight, 15. So you're like, eh, okay, I see. Even Echo was using the numbers. So interesting. Some fun little Easter eggs to pause when you have some free time, you know, just. And uh, then go on the message boards and theorize about them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I tell you what, if you, uh, I noticed, I saw this on, uh, I think, Lostpedia or somewhere, that there's a goof in this scene, too, if you pause it. Uh, there's one shot. It, every shot is totally normal, but then there's one shot where Locke is wearing a backpack. <laughs> oh, nice. And he's not in every other shot. And then suddenly there's just one where he's wearing a backpack. And then it the next shot, he's not anymore. <laughs> and it's just mm-hmm. kind of funny. <laughs> what does that mean? This changes everything. <laughs> oh my gosh, wait a second. Wait a second. I got nothing, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, we'll, have to, we'll have to think about that and come back to it. The disappearing backpack. But another interesting detail that... Uh, I don't know what we make of this, but the fact that Locke can't speak mm. when he wakes mm-hmm. up and he's got no voice, um, it kind of made the connection. Um, Locke has t- has had his speech taken away from him, mm. sort of. And you see the connections here um, to a little bit of deus ex machina where he has his legs taken away from him. And we actually mm-hmm. do see that in his dream again when he has the dream, but he has the vision seeing Boone where he can't walk mm-hmm. um, but I think it's also significant that something has taken away his voice um, and I don't know what necessarily what to make of that but uh, I think there's some some sort of connection there you can, you can it is it. interesting just thinking of like now that now that there's the scripture references and stuff that makes me think of uh, in in the gospel of Luke John the Baptist's father can't oh, yes, speak yes, for yes. a period of time. Yes. Because he because he didn't initially believe what the the angel told him would happen. Uh-huh. You know. Uh and I don't I don't know if they would have, you know, made that connection and stuff. It uh but it is just kind of an interesting thing that in in the Bible someone was mute for a period of time because he he questioned a little bit, you know, or, or he didn't initially believe if I, if I'm remembering scripture correctly, but, um, Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, that's just kind of an interesting tidbit, but. And that makes me think of when Boone says in the, in the, in the vision, he says, you'll speak when you have something to say. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. I think it's almost, I think you're onto something there that it's like a punishment from the Mm -hmm. external force here. Like you can't, you won't be able to speak until you finally found your purpose again, basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, uh, yeah. So I, I think there is something to that for sure. Mm-hmm. And to kind of prove like you need to wait, you know, you need to wait on <laughs> in, in the Bible, it's you need to wait on the Lord almost. Yeah. And in here, it's like, you need to wait on the Island to give you the sign, you know, you need to listen now. Mm-hmm. So you need to wait on the Island I, what, I, what I love about the the whole thing with Locke's faith in the island, you need to, either, you need to wait in the island or mm-hmm. 
the malevolent fourth force within the island. Yep. <laughs> and that's the whole crux of what we got going on here. And I think that the episode kind of subtly points it out very cleverly as we go mm-hmm. on here. Um, I think some other details to point out as we begin the scene where, you know, Locke starts tearing down the shelter and Claire's like, what the heck is going on? I'm with you, Claire. Um, aren't you going to talk to him, Charlie? Uh, poor Claire. She almost got hit by a quarantine door and now she has to deal with this bald guy tearing down shelters in the, in the camp and all that. Well, also, I my theory about that scene, because Charlie doesn't say a word, um, Claire is just like, what's he doing? Don't you think you should go find out? She definitely is trying to get rid of Charlie. Yeah. Um, she just, she's she needs some space. She's already so she, sick I, of him again, yeah. Yeah, exactly, so. <laughs> but the fact that Locke goes and builds the sweat lodge, whereas we found before, that's that's how he once found his purpose. He's going to find it there again. And he builds it on the site of Echo's church, which mm. I like that. I don't know if Locke, you know, consciously did that, but here we go. This is my sacred. I'm going to build my sacred space where Echo was building his sort of, you know, and he's sort of being drawn to Echo slowly by, you know, the stick falling on him. And now he's at the church, the site of the church. And so it's mm-hmm. suddenly like, yeah, that the island or the monster is telling him that you need to save Mr. Echo. Yeah. Um, but so he builds the sweat lodge and he employs Charlie. He comes and gets Charlie to help him. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Charlie's role in this episode is kind of interesting to kind of contemplate a little bit because yeah. immediately Charlie reminds Locke, like you knew, you know, I detest you, right? I can't stand you. Why would you come to me? Mm-hmm. Um, but he does. And I think it, it almost feels like if we can, you know, zoom out and look at this whole episode, it's almost like Charlie kind of starts to like Locke again by the end. Yeah. Or he's, he develops a new respect for the guy. Mm-hmm. Um, where at the end, you know, he's, Hurley's looking at Desmond like what's going on there and then he goes not a bad speech sort of and he's sort of looking at him almost admiringly it's, it feels weird because yeah like, you still don't like him right but th- I think they're subtly trying to make Charlie like Locke again a little bit throughout it's it's interesting because yeah it does feel like uh right from the beginning Charlie's like I like I like the fact that they point out you know, Charlie points out like this shouldn't be happening between you and I, like you, we don't like each other, (laughs) you know, um, uh, you were punching me in the face, you know, however long ago and stuff. Um, and I think it's cool that they point that out because it feels like from the beginning of the episode, even before Locke gets his further instructions, you know, I wonder if part of him going to Charlie is the idea of like, Hey, I have a broken relationship with this guy. Um, like yeah. he's the only guy who's back from the hatch explosion, you know, maybe I need to almost like make amends with him. You yeah. know, maybe, maybe the two of us need to reconcile somehow, even before he gets the instruction saying you need to clean up your mess. 
um like he has some sense that he needs to he needs to find the guy he's got a beef with and (laughs) you know ask him for help um i don't know it is a good you know you're as you're talking about that it makes me think of and the previously on you know before this episode they they replay that scene where Locke says to echo i was wrong you know the classic moment and you got to remember, this is right after that. So it's Locke. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I do think, as as we're thinking about this, with him and Charlie, throughout this episode, it's sort of kind of subtly weaved in there that, you know, he is actually doing, he's taking Charlie along with him, but he's doing what he should have done with Boone. Yes. Yeah. Like, again and again, he's like, go back, Charlie go back. I'm not taking you along with me. I'm not going to let you go along with this Mm -hmm. and and become another sacrifice. The Island demands. Yeah. Um, And bad things happen to people who come with me sort of. So there, there is that kind of like as much as, you know, I want to, as I do think ultimately this episode is kind of a hollow moment for Locke because he's still Mm -hmm. stuck but he's having sort of he, he he is expressing like he's learning from his past mistakes here. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's important to note, I think. I think there is maybe if 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 there is the overall war that the um uh man in black is maybe winning for with Locke here, you know, he's he's getting him to yeah. you know, do his bidding again, that sort of thing. There are some battles that I think Locke wins uh, along the way, like, you know, things like that, that he mm-hmm. he grows as a person in the midst of falling into the same uh, ruts again, so. So, Locke takes some drugs, much to Charlie's chagrin, and then he goes <laughs> into the, really? <laughs> Come on, man. Um, he goes into the sweat lodge and then this moment, which I think I, I I've overlooked it before, but when he's sitting there in the sweat lodge mm-hmm. and he's, you know, pouring the water over him, getting the smoke going and everything mm-hmm. sitting there and he's staring at an empty space mm. and he's staring at that and he's expecting something to appear there mm. i think he's he's hoping to commune with the island there mm-hmm. and i think the writers are very either very clever or they didn't mean anything by this but i feel like the fact that boone grabs Locke on the shoulder from the side and yeah. he looks over here is their subtle way of saying oh john didn't get to talk to the didn't get to commune with the the good force on the island like that's cool it's the monster coming from the side and basically distracting him from maybe a lot mm-hmm. could have actually, but, but I think there's also that ongoing theme of how Jacob is very, you know, distant. He, he doesn't mm-hmm. get involved. So there's never any, there's never any guidance from anyone who is actually maybe even, I don't know if Jacob's a good force mm-hmm. on the Island or anything like that. But Locke never gets to talk to the good force because the bad force comes from the side. So I, yeah. that's how I see it anyway. 
And I kind of thought, oh, that's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. I do love just like the subverting your expectations. Like you think something's about to appear and then it does, but to his side, it grabs yeah. him. You know, that's, that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Takes Locke by surprise and he's very surprised because it's Boone mm-hmm. with longer hair. How, how did he, his hair grew in the afterlife? <laughs> I I will say, I remember when we watching this one live. Um, I was upset because yeah. that was spoiled because Ian Summerhalder is in the opening credits of the episode. In the flashback that happens before this, you can see they say special oh. guest appearance. By Ian Summerhalder. Why would they do that? I was like, I remember watching it and being like, Boone's not in this show anymore. Why did they credit him? And then he's in the next scene and I was like, are you kidding me? Yeah. It's such a, such a terrible goof, you know? That's why you never read those credits. Just don't do it. Because if you, when you do it, you have to read... Mr. Echo's real name (laughs) and you you can't read it and then you're just you're lost you get confused yeah exactly (laughs) but uh, yeah that's why would they do that come on I guess they have to they have to credit him he's got to get his credit so they I will say they uh, in one of my other favorite shows Better Call Saul when they had like they had a couple you know like throughout the show it's a prequel so and it's connected to breaking bad there are times where characters show up but they they leave that they didn't include them in the opening titles and the very first title at the end of the episode is special appearance by so and so Ah, so they should have just done that you know because it was like give them top billing at the end because you can't have them at the front because it's a spoiler you know yeah now that's thinking come on yeah so, this this we got to talk about this crazy vision. Um, so, the way I interpret it, and I think you know, it seems like that's what they were going for. Is Boone is the monster? Mm-hmm. This is a monster fueled vision. The thing that I I think is most clear is that the you got the monster sounds. Yeah, as he's going through this whole thing, like and all that stuff and it's sort of like and so I'm like, that that seems like it's pretty clear so when you think about boone is the monster i think that when he says that's okay i was a sacrifice the island demanded kind of like he's kind of being sarcastic and poking fun at Locke. Mm-hmm. it's it's that's a fascinating it's like it's toying with the man basically and he can sense the malevolence there, sort of like, oh, yeah, I was a sacrifice the island demanded, John, you you dope. I love that moment because Terry O'Quinn plays it so excellently where he's like immediately when he sees Boone, he's, you know, he's trying to say, I'm sorry. Uh, and he can't. And then he says, it's OK. I, I was a sacrifice the island demanded. And just the way that he responds is so perfect because he doesn't, you know, he he said that initially to Jack and it felt like he wasn't sure he was trying to say something that would be like, oh, this is fitting into my narrative of, you know, if Boone died and it 
it had to mean something. So he was a sacrifice, you know? Mm-hmm. And then later he kind of quotes himself and is hollowly saying, you know, yeah, like, yeah. Oh, he was a sacrifice. And here to hear Boone himself say it, like he is so crushed by that part, you know? Yeah. Um, and I just think that's such a, it's an interesting moment for his character. And I think that's why later in the episode, he's like, Charlie, don't come with me. You know, like yeah. people shouldn't hang out with me. <laughs> mm-hmm. He's sort of using guilt to manipulate mm-hmm. him. Um, yeah. And to manipulate him to bring the family back together. Mm. I do find it. That's part of this episode that I do struggle with kind of thinking about. So, Mm-hmm. He wants him to go save Mr. Echo. And then he kind of gives him, he shows him like, oh, Jack and Kate and Sawyer are off and you can't do anything about that right now. Basically kind of giving him motivation to want to bring people back together. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm like, why would the, the monster want that if I'm going to go with that interpretation? So that kind of makes me pause. Um, I do think that if you look at the show in kind of the long game and thinking about how, I don't know if this is what the writers were thinking, probably wasn't, but the fact that the monster cannot kill Mm -hmm. them, they can only kill each other, basically, Mm -hmm. sort of like him him going like, you got to get these people, bring them back so that you can kill each other, basically. Or you got to get Mr. Echo specifically Mm -hmm. because Mr. Echo was starting to be a sucker and I was using him to do some stuff. So get Mr. Echo out of there. And then as we see in cost of living, bring him over to me and I'm going to finally declare my ownership of him as yummy, I think is what he was thinking there too. So Mm -hmm. you can kind of see where it could be nefarious. Although it seems like on the surface, this is good. This is like lock. Yeah. Bring people together. I think there's, yeah, I think there's multiple things. Like, I do think that it has to do with, I'm not done with, you know, the man in black saying like, I'm not done with Echo. But also at the same time, maybe partially the strategy is just to keep lock believing that he's, you know, yeah. the good guy. You know, that 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 the island isn't done with him because he sees that Locke is vulnerable again, you know, like and he needs him to keep believing um so that he can further manipulate him later, you know. Yeah, he he's at one basically it's just trying to reassert his ownership of Locke again, you know. Yeah. Again and again like I own you. So mm-hmm. that's what this whole thing is about. I think the fact that he can't walk and he needs a wheelchair might be, once again, like we saw in Deus Ex Machina, this, the island's subtle way of saying, Locke, this isn't good. Remember, you yeah. need your legs, buddy. Maybe. And the fact that he, the monster brings out the wheelchair like, oh, you can't walk? Well, I'll, I'll push you along. So these shots of the different characters going through the airport... Um, I like the moment where Desmond's walking down there and he says, forget it. He's helping himself. Mm-hmm. I just like that, that summary of Desmond. That's sort of, that, that's just, yeah, he's, yeah. Desmond's on his own thing here. 
Don't worry about him. And I think it's cool that he's, I think it's so, it's such a cool scene. I mean, it's just really cool overall. I mean, even just like the look of it, like the color Mm -hmm. grading and stuff is so, I don't know, like bright, but like the shadows are like so, so dark. Like the contrast is so interesting, but Mm -hmm. I, I love, yeah, that he's making comments about the actual state of all of these characters. Like uh, Desmond's fine. Don't worry about it. You know? He didn't mm-hmm. die, you know, because Locke doesn't know that yet. Um, my my favorite comment was when he uh, sees um, Jin and Sun and Saeed, and he's like, yeah. I think Saeed's got it. I just <laughs> thought that was so yeah. funny, <laughs> especially in light of the last episode. Like, I think he's got it. And, and it's just such a perfect, the way they, they perform it with Saeed pointing, like Jin and yeah. Sun are arguing and him pointing like, Gotta go over here. Uh, that's that sums it up pretty much perfectly. It's just awesome. And then Charlie and Claire, they'll be fine for now. What? What does that mean? Don't don't you dare to do anything to those two. <laughs> and it's not Hurley, thank goodness it's not Hurley. Oh, yeah. Um and then the Jack and Kate and Star are getting wanded by Ben Linus. Oh boy. That's awesome. Yeah, just the the way that Terry O'Quinn's waving his arms around like uh-huh. so helplessly is so it sums it up. Um, but yeah, the, the and then the, then the other thing that I liked about this at the end when he comes to the escalator and he says, you know, suddenly he's up at the top of it. I love how that parallels, huh? right? Yeah. Where he where he has to go up, they climb up the the wall once again. It should have been yep. like a this. This seems very familiar, Locke. You had to do this mm-hmm. once before when you were in the dream as Mister Echo, and you came up to the top, and there was. And I think you know, they did that on purpose. Like this is the same force that told him that now mm-hmm. it's it's Boone, and doing it again, and the fact that in deus ex machina his vision had boone oh yeah you know in in the exact same look you know where he's he's bloody and he's you know uh obviously been hurt in some way you know he's been crushed and stuff um that's how this flashback ends as well Mm -hmm. and that's not a red flag (laughs) you know not at all not at all (laughs) But Locke is so convinced that this is what he's supposed to do. He he just wants wants it so bad that he's like, yeah, yes, and and it's good that he because we do want to ultimately we do want to save Mister Echo, right? So it's right, you know. But uh, yeah, he's convinced now that he has to save Mister Echo's life. Um, and he he knows. I like the the subtle, you know, when he comes out of the tent and there's the polar bear shot, like. That's the last like little piece. Like yeah. I know there's a polar bear and everything too. Um, and so we're off and running. And I love how he, you know, it's like he comes out of the tent and then he picks up a knife. Yes. And that's like the, I feel like that's like the symbolic thing. Like, oh yeah, he's, he's a hunter. He's back, you know, like he, he's ready to go, you know? Yeah, I do like, you know, 
we we kind of mentioned it, I think, maybe in the season three preview or before we've talked about it. Like, the hatch is gone. The hatch mm-hmm. imploded. They look over the hatch, and it's no coincidence that suddenly John Locke is back to his old hunting habits. He's, he's yeah. a hunter again. Um, which, as you said, in, in one sense, this episode is refreshing in that finally mm-hmm. John Locke's outside again. Um, mm-hmm. So... I'm gonna look at. I'm looking on the bright side. There, he's outside. He's going around the island, using his legs. I wish he just just wish he wasn't uh, being manipulated. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So we have that moment where he tells Charlie, "Don't go with me. Bad things happen to people that hang around with me." Obviously, echoing Boone. That's very clear in his mind. Like. Just, mm-hmm. just don't do it, uh, which is very sad, but also shows character development, as we already talked about. Mm-hmm. This is this is one of the only times where I'm going to go ahead and say, like, a character saying, you know, like, I need to go and do this on my own. Yeah. It's actually character growth. Like, it's a good thing, <laughs> you know, like, in in a way, because he's saying, you know, for the most part, the storyline of Lost is like, don't, you know, the characters need to stay, stick together sort of thing. They need each other. And it shows some form of character growth and not just him being a loner when he says, like, because he's ultimately, he's looking out for the good of Charlie. You know, he's saying like, hey, bad stuff happens to people who follow me around. You know, like, don't, don't follow me. And then it's kind of interesting that Charlie doesn't turn back. We don't get the argument really, yeah. you know, at that point. Um, but Charlie continues, which is interesting. That is, yeah. But yeah, like you're saying, it's character growth. Where don't follow me. Bad things happen to people who follow follow me. But what mm-hmm. are you following, John? <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> Just kind of turn, turn, and turn and think about that. Why do bad things happen to people who are who go with you? <laughs> you almost had something there. Luke. You almost had something there, but you were so close. Quite. Instead, you just keep walking, and then there's a bear, and then you run from the bear, and then you throw a knife at what you think is the bear, and oh my goodness, I swear. <laughs> I know he's back, but the just the fact that Hurley came that close. Uh-huh. Oh, oh John. If you had killed Hurley, that's it. That's <laughs> the show's over. We're done. We're done. It's done. I I remember watching this um I again, I remember the first time seeing it. I instantly recognized uh Jorge Garcia's voice. Yeah. When going like, ah, and I was like, oh my gosh, did he just stab her? <laughs> I remember being so scared. <laughs> yeah. Dude, man. Dude. dude. <laughs> it does give us a dude moment, which is great. Uh, really yeah. saying dude is, it's giving me life right now, as the kids like to say these days. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, finally we get Hurley. It's Hurley time after all this season three drudgery. We finally get Hurley back. And uh, I like the moment when he tells, he's telling them about what happened. And he tells, he mentions that Henry's the leader of the others. And the fact that that 
causes Locke to pause and kind of like, yeah, because as you pointed out when we were talking about um, that scene where he says when he's telling John why he came, mm-hmm. I, I think that probably instantly comes back to Locke's mind. Like, wait, he was saying that the leaders are. Oh, hey, wait a minute you know <laughs> yes i that's one of my favorite like little moments uh mm-hmm. is is how yeah like hurley's like yeah henry he's like their leader and Locke stops in his tracks i love that uh yeah. because yeah exactly for what you just said like he would be shocked <laughs> i like it because it subtly sets us off on a journey that's going to be a part of season three where Locke is like now i think that that sets it in his mind like okay, I'm going to bookmark that. That's why I'm going. <laughs> That's yeah. the real reason I'm going to go for after Jack and Kate and Sawyer. I mean, it's great to get them back and everything, but I'm going to get that little weasel and I'm going to figure this whole thing out. Dang it. Because yeah. I think it, it kind of pisses him off there. Like, mm-hmm. really? He's their leader, that guy? Um, so yeah, it's a nice little moment. But uh, And then they leave Hurley. And let him just, you know, walk through the jungle with the bear out there. Bear? What bear? Bear? That's the line of the episode, I think. Bear? Is that you, bear? bear? I love Hurley. <laughs> <laughs> so Locke and Charlie find the cave. Um, and they have this little argument about, you know, why Locke's going in there. And, uh, like... It it does parallel Deus Ex Machina in one way, where he's like, where Locke's mm-hmm. like, I'll, well, Charlie's like, I'll go in there. He's like, well, why would you go in there? Um, yeah, you don't have a reason to go in there. I do because I'm supposed to. Because I'm supposed to go in there. That's Locke's reason for everything. I'm supposed to do it. Yeah. Um, and it just it speaks to the fact that Locke is willing, fully willing to take full responsibility for, you know, following the island now. As opposed mm-hmm. to when he made when he told Boone, "You're going to have to go up there mm-hmm. um, and get up in that plane." So mm-hmm. it is growth, but it's also just uh, misguided growth. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's interesting because I I feel like the the man in black, you know, like his 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 way of manipulating Locke into doing what he's supposed to do, actually in a in a certain way invites him into character growth because he, he frames yeah. it as like, you need to clean up your mess. That's true. And Locke immediately owns that and says like echo is in this cave because of something I did. So I need to save him. So he, yeah, he's growing as a character, even as he's being, <laughs> you know, kind of manipulated. So, mm-hmm. yep. I do like, as you're saying that, like, this is my mess and the monster is telling me to clean up this mess, which is actually a good thing. But Mm -hmm. the monster is also the one that convinced him to make the mess. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) It's it's just yanking him back and forth because he's the one who convinced him that the button didn't have any meaning. You could say that he's a puppet, a puppet on a string. I know, right? (laughs) Yeah. And so... Locke muds himself up, grabs that hairspray. We get the delightful moment where Charlie points out that Locke <laughs> is bald, and we all have a good chuckle. 
That is a really good moment. <laughs> it's a great moment. I hate to be the one to point this out to you. <laughs> I like to think that right after that scene ended, Terry O'Quinn's like, dang it! <laughs> he had like a Pierce moment where, yeah, <laughs> you're bald. I'll kill you. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. He, like Terry O'Quinn has it in his contract that no one, should, no one can point out that he's bald. Um, <laughs> and uh, it just kind of pissed him off. And that's all they were able to do on that day for shooting. But so Locke is going in that bear cave, and I hope, I hope he survives. But I, uh, I guess. We're just going to have to wait and see because I think, if you'll agree, that it's time for a break. Oh, yeah. We got to get that suspense in here. So we're going to, yeah, we got to manufacture some suspense into this podcast and say, if you want to find out if John Locke survives this bear cave, listen to us in a few seconds when we come back from break. Okay. We'll be right back with the stunning conclusion of See You in Another Life Brothers after this. Welcome back to See You in Another Life, Brothers. We're talking about Further Instructions. I don't even think we acknowledge the name of the episode. Further Instructions. Kind of clever. You know, Locke like is, he's communing with the island again, trying to get some more instructions. It's pretty straightforward mm-hmm. as far as lost titles go. Not, not, you know. I think it's cool. Yeah, I, I, like, I like something about the fact that it's not just, you know instructions but it's further instructions there's something about that it just the fact that like he has he has been instructed before but now it's it's new <laughs> you know mm-hmm. like the, he's he's been waiting for them you know for for something to give him guidance so yeah it parallels orientation which is season mm. two episode three so season mm-hmm. three episode three is he was already he went through orientation and now he needs further instructions. So that's cool. I, yeah, I like that. Um, so Locke went into the bear cave. Will he survive? We'll find out after this naked Scotsman. <laughs> <laughs> A brief interlude. <laughs> that's got that's that's upsetting. I mean, Hurley has been through a lot. And this is probably the most upsetting thing to come across Desmond. What the, what the heck, man? I've been through a trauma here. I was, I had a bag put over my head. I was, the, the others shocked me. I had to walk all the way across the island. Now I got to come back. And the first thing I come across is this. <sighs> Poor Hurley. I have to applaud Lost for the fact that this scene begins with... I mean, we already joked about it. The the yeah. bear is that you? <laughs> like the fact that that line exists in this show, and it's not terrible is amazing. Yeah. Because like, <laughs> like the fact that it is a character who believably would say that, and it's not just a really stupid moment, but it's him. <laughs> it's yeah. just Hurley kind of being like bear. Is that you? Like, I don't know why. That's just really impressive that it's not just a really stupid moment. It speaks to the greatness of Jorge Garcia. That, I mean, that's, yeah, that's really true. Like, he sells it. He manages to make the. He, he's the comic relief, but he's you know, a believable comic. He's not campy. He's not you know cheesy. Mm-hmm. He's he's lovable, and yep. that's why we love. 
that moment. Bear, is that you? It's believable. It's like, and you feel the terror too. You're like, <laughs> there's a bear out here. Yep. Um, but I think it pale, even though bear is that you is great. Mm-hmm. I think it pales in comparison to, I've already said that there's a line of the episode. I forget what it was, but this is a close second. So like the hatch blew off your underwear is <laughs> that's that's emmy level writing right there <laughs> well and i love desmond like yeah what what we would all be like in this moment of having to like roam around the woods for half a day you know in the jungle for <laughs> half a day hoping someone would come along with clothes just like well we could discuss it in great detail why don't we <laughs> you know <laughs> stop asking me questions do you have any clothes and you know i'm saying hurley's been through a trauma i think desmond's been through a greater trauma so let's you know we'll talk about that in a few episodes but anyway (laughs) oh yeah Yeah, he's been through a lot just give him some dang clothes (laughs) (laughs) give him some he doesn't care if it's tie-dye just anything and let's get going seriously (sighs) so yeah so those two find each other Thank goodness. And now we can get back to the bear cave. Mm-hmm. And so what I will say about this scene, I've already said I don't care for it too much. So the only two things I'll say is, hey, look, a dump truck. And that's a CGI bear. And <laughs> I don't know if you, 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 you can say anything else you want to say. I mean, there's some Dharma Initiative skeletons in there. That's interesting. But, mm-hmm. yeah. I... Uh... All I all I have to say about this, other than what we've already said, is um, this was the first time in any media I'd ever uh, heard of a character using hairspray and a lighter uh, yeah. or fire or anything. I I literally had no idea the significance of hairspray as he was going. I was like, what? Why does he? <laughs> why does he need that? And then once that happened, I was like, you can do that, you know? And mm-hmm. I don't know. It was just. It's one of those things you remember like, oh yeah, I'd never seen anything like that in or I'd never known that was a thing that it was flammable, you know, and you could, you know. Um so I just thought Locke was genius and the coolest guy for doing that. So he is the well, we forgot to mention another great line in this episode that polar bears may be the Einsteins of the bear community. Oh yeah. Fantastic. I love that moment. <laughs> yeah. I used to watch it on the beep. <laughs> I used to get high and watch nature programs. I I love the fact that um I've never I've never heard that corroborated anywhere else that uh polar bears are really smart and I like to imagine that they're not and that he was just <laughs> so high. <laughs> he was high and so he was like polar bears are really smart, eh? <laughs> you know, like he saw yeah. them do one smart thing in an episode and was like, "Oh, they're like the Einsteins." Mm-hmm. Well, polar bears may be the Einsteins of the bear community, but John Locke is the MacGyver of the bald guys with mud on their face community <laughs> because he's just a genius. So it is it is a small crowd, the the bald guys <laughs> with mud on their face. But of them, he is the MacGyver. Mm-hmm. But maybe we should broaden it out. Bald guys with like mud or paint on their face, because we could include Tobias from Arrested Development in there. So he, there and he's more resourceful than that. Um, anyway, 
So they get him out. They have to they have to carry basically Mr. Echo all the way through the jungle. That yeah. big man. Man. That's a fun that's a fun journey. So we'll leave those two to it and get back to Desmond and Hurley. Let's see what they're talking about. Um I think the the thing I noted about this other scene with them, um, other than the obvious like you know, time like uh, seeing the future type thing, yes, which is crazy. But, um, I think uh, the line when Desmond says, I, "The hatch must have imploded," and Hurley's like, "But you didn't implode. You're not going to mm-hmm. turn into the Hulk or something." Is funny, but it's also I, I I always like just pointing out the miracle and the like. There is something too, like the fact that. The three of them, like, it's similar to how the the crash, like, they all survived with minimal injuries for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no coincidence. Even though there is malevolent, there are malevolent forces, like, guiding mm-hmm. the walk, there's still ultimately, like, a purpose for why they survived or why mm-hmm. Desmond survives or any of that. So I like how it, it, it hints at that here. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's also just funny and interesting and crazy i yeah well and that's such a cool moment because it's like i don't know it's like funny writing but it also sets up the audience to question like like oh yeah is is desmond okay like you know i mean he was at the center of that um when he turned that key it did something and he was at the center of it so is he okay and i love um the way that henry and cusick like plays his response there when he says you know you're not going to turn into the hulk are you he just kind of is like huh you know and just you know moves on Mm -hmm. and when you know later when we talk about flashes before your eyes we'll have to remember that because at this point he's already gone on this whole journey (laughs) you know he's gone through all sorts of crazy trippy stuff and then Hurley's like, you're not going to turn into the Hulk, are you? And he has no idea what is going yeah. to happen to him. You know, like, he doesn't know if if that was it or what. And so, yeah, just the way he's just kind of like, ah, nah, duh, you know, <laughs> is just kind of a cool moment um, when you when you remember later, like, oh, yeah, he, he traveled back in time. <laughs> you know, like, mm-hmm. it's pretty cool. Yeah, he's trying to play it cool, like, you know, that's ridiculous, but at the same time, I might be radioactive, I don't know. <laughs> I might be a superhero. Oh, boy. Um, yeah. And that makes me kind of think about the fact that I always did think it, they had to do this, where Desmond see, you know, they had to figure it out somehow, so they had him mm-hmm. know the speech beforehand. But all the other re- times he flashes forward, he's seeing Charlie die. Right. right? So it kind of makes me think, what did he see Charlie die at the during the speech? Or mm-hmm. I, don't know. I, I think it it's a little inconsistent there. They just needed something to do that, but I don't know. Mm-hmm. So it's a little bit of a quibble, but. I, wonder, I like to think maybe Charlie did die at the speech and he, he saved him somehow. 
he needed to throw rocks into the ocean to make sure that whatever was going to kill <laughs> Charlie would. Um, <laughs> he was actually protecting him. Um, I, I, I like to think that maybe there's it's not an exact science That's true, of yeah. of um, Desmond's consciousness being transported back to this moment on the island. So, like you know, coming back. Uh, and waking up and being naked in the jungle and stuff like somehow he was aware of some stuff that was just about to happen because his consciousness was like slightly out of sync or something so i love the sci-fi stuff <laughs> you know they mix it in so well with the characters and all that it's yeah it's sort of a perfect cocktail of all sorts of different genres Lost. Mm-hmm. um yeah, so Locke saves Echo, and then they're walking back with Mr. Echo, and uh, Charlie and him have this moment where Locke says, he told me I had to clean up my own mess uh, about Boone. And then Charlie says, well, dead as he may be, I agree with Boone. After all, if you had pressing the, if you had been pressing the button like Echo told you to then, then I wouldn't have to save him in the first place. That's what cleaning my own mess means, says Locke. Mm-hmm. And then Charlie says, spoken like so- someone who's had too many messes to clean. Um, thing I'll say about this is, once again, we kind of see Locke having a moment of growth. Um, even though, like you're saying, it's he's being manipulated, but he's, you know, mm-hmm. he, he is learning that he, you know, he's not always right in his blind you know beliefs where he's Mm -hmm. he's convinced of something um and i think charlie you know he says spoken like someone who's had a few too many messes to clean um kind of a dig at him but at the same time i think charlie also charlie's getting to know Locke. i think more Mm -hmm. than he ever has before in this episode which goes back to why maybe he's developing a respect for him here that he didn't have before like oh you you've been through this before i see but you actually did go and clean up your mess here you went into a polar you risked your life for a guy mm-hmm. so you're, you know i respect you john Locke. maybe i think there's i think there's also something to like charlie hasn't really been able to see like Locke has never been kind of vulnerable to charlie like charlie's seen him like drying his tears and stuff and then he he you know kind of straightens up and you know covers it up and stuff but here Locke is is flat out just owning the fact that he made a mistake um in front of charlie and to charlie and saying like yeah i'm cleaning up my mess that's that's i'm admitting like that's what this is all about i made a mistake um and i need to clean it up and charlie you know, in saying, I've always thought like his line or he says, you know, spoken like someone who uh, has had a lot of messes to clean up, you know, I've always thought that's kind of him realizing like, oh, we're not, we're not so different, you and I, yes. you know, that whole thing, you yes. know, like, like, we've both screwed a few things up in our day, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. so. Yeah, they've have more in common than they realize and yeah it is Locke 
kind of makes me think of in Deus Ex Machina when, you know, right before Boone's going to go up in that, pl- when they, he makes Boone go up in the plane, they have a moment where Boone's talking about Teresa and they, they mm. or, and Locke actually admits that he was in a wheelchair, I believe, also in that mm-hmm. close by where they're actually finally getting to know each other really, truly. Mm-hmm. And then it's all disrupted by, you know, this, what he thinks he's supposed to do. Yeah. Um, once again, here we see it a moment where they're starting to connect, but uh, I feel like it's it's broken up by this next moment where, you know, uh, Mister Echo starts talking, mm-hmm. and Locke is is wrapped up in it again a little bit here. Um. So speaking of this scene. The, the revealing line that Echo says is to Mr. Echo unconscious. He says, I'm sorry I ever doubted you. Sorry I gave up my faith in the island. Mm-hmm. And that's really what this is all about. It's sort of like the island. I should never have doubted the island. And now I'm fully back in. And so that's really kind of admitting that, you know, I need the, I need this monster who's guiding me basically mm-hmm. um, well i do i do like the fact that like even even in the midst of again you know like there's good and bad happening at the same time even in the midst of Locke, kind of ultimately saying like you know i shouldn't have doubted the island he's also very much recognizing like echo you were right i'm sorry yes um and i think it's cool that all in the same episode he apologizes to Boone and he apologizes to Echo, two people who have had, you know, very dire consequences um, uh, at a result of Locke's decision-making, you know? Yeah. Uh, I just think that's cool that in this same episode, he apologizes to Boone, even though it's not Boone, you know? Uh, and he also straight up apologizes to Echo for what he's done. So... He starts to make amends with Charlie a little bit too, so it's yeah, yeah. Locke is starting to make connections again, which is good. Mm-hmm. And he's saying that, you know, I could have, if I just listened to you, I could have gone with Jack, Kate, and Sawyer. I could have protected them. I could have, which is, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of true. Even though I don't know how much he could have done, and he wouldn't have yeah. been able to go anyway. But still, he he wants to, you know, he wants to connect with people again, which is good. It's like mm-hmm. Locke is, he's come out of this um, with a bit of growth, even though he's still lost. Um, and it's solidified in this final moment where Echo wakes up and says, you will find them. After all, you're a hunter, John. Um, mm-hmm. The fact that he, and that's the key to this episode, to finally definitively saying that this is not a force that wants to help John. It's the mm-hmm. force that it's reinforcing the idea that Mike and Jan told him to get the, him to go along with what they were doing. Mm-hmm. You're a hunter. It's like, I'm going to reinforce that binary and tell you what you want to hear so that you will continue to do my wit, my bidding all the way along. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems like a nice moment. If you look at it from the, that's what I love about it. It's like the surface level. You're like, Oh, there we go. You're a hunter, John. Yeah. Ah, but 
I don't think it's a happy moment. Yeah, I agree. Like it's it's one of those things where you're like, oh, if you don't think about it very much, it's like, oh yeah, yeah, he's a hunter. Like that's the point. But I yeah, I think the point is that he needs to not be, you know, seeking out these external like forces telling him like this is your meaning. Yeah. Um but to to make amends with other people and to find um the the meaning in community and in belonging with others and and all of that stuff the stuff that like unfortunately has been twisted by so many people along his story you know to, uh, twisting those relationships uh so that and distorting them uh so that he's never truly gotten to know what it means to belong um yeah. and so unfortunately even though it feels like a good moment it is just placing Locke back on, on that same trajectory he's always been on uh, of seeking meaning in something like a, like a title or a role. So, mm-hmm. And it, it sours the, the speech mm-hmm. that we have there at the end where he's kind of trying to inspire everyone and, you know, give them hope. And he says, you know, I will find them. I'll get them back. He's only, he's saying that because, I mean, part of him probably wanted to, but the monster told him to basically yeah. now. So it's tainted by the fact that go this way, John. Oh, I'll go that way. Um, even though it's also good because he's he's trying to give people hope. Mm-hmm. So John, John's a mixed bag right now. We'll just oh, yeah. put it that way. It's also tainted. <sighs> you know what I'm going to say. That I forgot about this, but this is also okay. This is why I my least favorite part of this episode, and the why and why it just feels so cheap and just awful. I wrote in my notes as I watched this scene, and this is literally exactly what I felt. Uh, I wrote, "Ugh, Nikki and Paulo are in this." Yeah. <laughs> I okay. It wouldn't be horrible. <laughs> I, I think it's the way that they introduce them. Yes. Like, it's not. Oh good. yeah, Nikki Apollo, you've been here this whole time. Like, oh yeah, we're we're here too. Like, suddenly these background characters are just in the forefront, and you're going, wait, who? What? It's it, it's, and I will say it's awkward to try to force those two into this the show suddenly mm-hmm. out of the blue. So they had kind of an impossible task because they needed to have them in there because they're going to do an episode about them eventually. But And the fact that they're just so, oh, gosh, golly, what happened? Oh, where's Jack? Oh, we're, we're good. And it just feels, because you know who Nikki and Paolo are, and you're just like, yeah. oh, these, these are horrible people. Um, it's just, it, it it's it's not good. It It's especially... I just especially don't like it because they're immediately introduced as people who are complaining to the characters we know and love. Yeah. (laughs) You know, like immediately they're like, what are you guys talking about? Where's Jack? You know, stuff like that. Where, like in just kind of a way in a tone that feels like they are entitled to main character status, you know? (laughs) Exactly. It's just like, 
who are you? <laughs> you know, um, the the part that made me really annoyed was when uh, uh, Hurley says, you know, they've they've got Jack and Kate or something like that. And Paulo's yeah. like, who's they? And it's like, have you not been on the same island as all of, <laughs> as all of us? They went to go get the others, <laughs> you know? I mean, come on. Yeah, seriously. You guys suck. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just have to say it. Not a fan of Nikki Apollo. I know that's going to be controversial to a lot of Moss fans out there, but I mean, they are no Scott and Steve. I'll just say that. Oh, yeah. And, man. If only, you know, I like to think in an alternate universe we could have gotten like, like whichever one died, survived. And then mm-hmm. Scott and Steve were the ones that did the that word expose like it, the, like it. mystery episode that would have been better like oh we'd been mentioning scott and steve and now finally we do a scott and steve episode and that would have been great but nikki apollo out of the blue and then they're just not great characters and <sighs> that sounds like something that someone would pitch on like reddit or something like we should have had a scott and steve <laughs> centric episode you know or a Froger, just something. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Any other side character besides these two that just come out of the blue and are, I don't even know who they are. Terrible. Who the heck are Scott? Who, are, who the heck are Nikki and Paulo? In the words of Sawyer. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, it does end with uh, this crazy, I mean, this, this rung hollow to me as far as like, you know, I think this is ultimately why this isn't one of my favorites uh, in all seriousness, where it just doesn't Mm -hmm. have the emotion. This episode never has the emotional punch like the great episodes do. Yeah. And just the shot of Desmond skipping rocks is supposed to be sort of like, you know, it's for a first time viewer like, Oh, okay. What's going on with that? I want to watch more. Yeah. I'm not all that interested, obviously, because we know. So yeah, it's fine, but uh, not a great episode. Yeah. I I will say that as someone who that like that whole anything with Desmond I love. So in this viewing like that ending moment, the whole just like reminder of like oh man, flashes before your eyes is coming up. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. It did make me really excited. So That's true. Yeah. Can't so. wait for that one. Coming back to my optimism, you know. There we go. That's that's how I, uh, anything like the hints of that weird sci-fi mumbo jumbo stuff with Desmond, I am one hundred percent on board. So, doggone it, I was a cranky Gus, but now you got me back up, feeling happy <laughs> again. Or a grumpy Gus, not a cranky Gus, a grumpy Gus. I was a grumpy Gus, but you got me feeling all all gosh darn jolly again. You were so grumpy that you were cranky. I know, right? <laughs> well, I think that just about does it for further instructions, unless you have any other instructions for our viewers out there or listeners. Um. Oh, I did. I did want to mention the only other stray thought I had from this, um, mm-hmm. which I'd never noticed before. But this is the sort of thing I love. Um, when Locke comes up to Charlie with the notepad. Um, oh, yeah. I'd never noticed that Charlie is working on the kitchen, like they're they're rearranging the camp a little bit, 
because they're using Henry Gale's parachute or his um uh balloon as a covering for the candle. Oh, that's I oh, never man. I never made that like realization, but if you look in that scene, they're using that as like a canopy. Wow. And isn't that cool? Like That's crazy. I never even noticed that. Like the set design is so cool because they're like of course if they find this giant balloon out in the jungle they can use that you know like yeah. why not <laughs> i just thought that was so such a clever thing to do yeah that's brilliant wow i never even noticed that you always catch mm-hmm. so you can catch little things you never noticed all the time i think in these yeah yeah that's why they're infinitely rewatchable yep but that does it for further instructions We'll move on to our next episode, Every Man for Himself, uh-huh. which uh, some Sawyer, a Sawyer episode coming up here, an intriguing one. Um, we'll get back to those others and all that moving rocks and everything. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. But uh, that will have to wait until next time. For this time, thanks so much for talking loss with me, bro. It's always a good time. Yeah, thank you. And thanks everyone for listening. And until next time, we will see you in another episode, brothers. Bye. Goodbye.